It is a joy to be here with you on this fourth Sunday of Easter and this Confirmation Sunday. And to initiate this uh, series that, that your rector has uh, chosen to uh, do for the next four Sundays in this letter to the Colossians and to remind you of this whole challenge to keep first things first. Things you know have a way of falling to pieces. Plaster cracks, cuffs fray, paint chips, and hips bulge. <laughs> Things have a way of falling to pieces. You buy a new car, you drive it off the lot, you are careful, you are cautious, you are meticulous. But before long you come out one day from a shopping spree only to find the door dented, the, the fenders smudged. And pretty soon the undergirding rust in the exhaust pipe drags. Things have a way of falling to pieces. Young couple comes, they're prepared for marriage. They think no other relationship in the history of the universe has been quite like this one. Eight years later, a cold war exists in the home. And no one's speaking to one another. Things have a way of falling to pieces. It is true as well with our life with God. And so it is a wise thing to have this whole task of, of remembering our life with God. And to take this letter of St. Paul to the Colossi, church in Colossae, why that's brilliant because it's a short letter that you can read in an hour slowly. And there is no other letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that so succinctly describes the Christian life, the discipleship necessary, and the uniqueness and sufficiency of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Four short chapters, but they are packed with profound truth. You see, Paul had never visited these Christians. They had been evangelized by his disciple Epaphras. Paul wrote this letter from prison. He wrote it to people he, perhaps he would never see. And so he wanted a, a, a letter that would tell them how to be mature in Christ. That's what he's concerned with. Maturity in Christ. You don't become mature in Christ by having one spiritual experience after another and running from one renewal conference to another. It's good to go to them, but that's not what will make you mature in Christ. It is the task of living as a believer in Christ, not eight hours a day, five days a week, but 24-7. Now, how do we do it? Well, this letter, this first chapter, is concerned about the renewal of our minds that we might think rightly. Never let anyone tell you that your mind does not matter in the Christian life. Your mind is essential. It's important that you know God's truth, what God has revealed to us. You see, on life, it is either speculation about what's true or revelation about what's true. And the Word of God 
is God's revelation to us about the truth of the universe, the truth about who we are as people, and the truth about how to live. Read, learn, mark, and inwardly digest it that you might think rightly, that you might have wisdom to know how to live. And it's about being reconciled to God, to ourselves, and to one another. And he says, look, all the religions of the world have been ways by which people have strived to make themselves right with God. And none of them have worked. They lead us into bondage. They lead us into striving. They lead us into futility. God in Jesus Christ has done it. He is the unique, supreme, sufficient Savior of the human race. Some years ago, a, a young man was standing in front of a church in Manchester, England. It was a Sunday. It was an inner city environment. He was completely unchurched, living in that ghetto. And a parishioner came out of the church on that day to get something out of the trunk of his car. And this young man approached and said, Sir... Is this church, does this church work? It looks like a monument. Much as some people come out here to Somerville to go to your parish church because it is historical and it's a monument to the history of South Carolina. But does it work? You see, all of life had forced this question upon him. He's been surrounded by vacuum cleaners, cars, governmental bureaucracies, families. Some worked and some didn't work. So it was only natural that he would ask this question, standing in front of a church built a thousand years ago during the Norman era, that he would ask, does it work? It looks like a monument. Well, you can't answer the question until you know what a church is to do. A church, why, this is what it's supposed to do. To make authentic, genuine followers of Jesus Christ. If St. Paul Somerville doesn't make authentic, genuine followers of Jesus Christ, it doesn't work no matter how much goes on here. No matter how many buildings you build. The whole task is to make authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why St. Paul wrote this letter. Now, now, we all know that Jesus said, as we heard again today, that he was the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, and I call them by name, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. And if you're anything like me, you kind of like that picture of the shepherd with the sheep, wrapped around, the little lamb wrapped around his shoulders, and he's carrying it to safety. And, and perhaps you know that when Jesus said, I'm good, the good shepherd, 
that that word good meant two things. It meant he is authentic, as in genuine, good, the real thing. He says, I'm the authentic shepherd. There are many false ones out there. But I'm the good one, the authentic one. And you will know my authenticity because I will lay down my life for the sheep. That's how you know I'm the real thing. When the wolf comes, I put my body between the wolf and the sheep. Genuine. He also meant when he said the word good, that he was able. Able to find people in their place of need. He found Zacchaeus hiding up in the tree and said, come down. I'm going to your house today. He found Mary Magdalene on the tomb on Easter morning when she was locked in her loneliness and grief and fear. And some of you are locked in loneliness and grief and fear. You say, how do I know that? Because I read a poll recently. A Gallup poll said Americans are some of the loneliest people in the world. You can have all things all around you and be lonely in your heart. He found Peter in his guilt after he had betrayed his Lord three times. And restored him. He's able. Oh, we know that Jesus was the good shepherd. But have you ever thought of these words? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Now when Paul says he's the firstborn of all creation, he doesn't mean that Jesus was created and was born in created order. He was born of the Virgin Mary, but he existed long before all things were made. So when he says the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn in ancient society was the one who inherited the whole thing. All of the universe is his. There is not one square inch of this universe, this society, this culture, this world, your school, that Jesus Christ doesn't say, that's mine. He inherited it. The firstborn of all creation, in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. A few years ago, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church created a, a big flap when she suggested that Jesus is not the only way to God. What I want to say, having read this passage, is if you get the God the Father and Jesus Christ isn't there, you didn't get there. He's not just the way to God, He is God. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Every constituent molecule of the universe and the vast expanse of interstellar space is all held together. By Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, who calls you by name. If that doesn't blow your mind, you're asleep. Maybe you are. <laughs> he is the head of the body, the church. I was just in England this past week, and 
and there was much talk about who will step to the throne of the Archbishop of Canterbury when it becomes vacant at the end of this year. But I need to tell you there is no vacancy on the head of the church. Jesus Christ isn't surrendering it. He is in charge. That he might become first in everything. For in him, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now why? Well, Paul goes on to say it this way. You who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now you may think to yourself, wait a minute. I don't think I'm estranged and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. Well, I didn't think I was either before I came to Christ. But I have to acknowledge at the age of 21 or 20 when people came up to me and to talk to me about Jesus Christ why I became very inwardly angry and upset and tied them in a philosophical knot and then went off laughing. But as I was walking away laughing, I thought, what if they're right? But you see, I became hostile towards God and all this talk about God. And I didn't want to hear that he out some way or another was the Lord of my life. Thank you, I'll choose for myself. Estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Oh, evil deeds? I didn't do any crimes. Well, I was arrested once, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Let's not go into that. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us? That's why I'm here in South Carolina. <laughs> anyway. What Paul is saying is that there is an alienation, an estrangement within us. Some years ago I was in London and I had a free afternoon and I went to the Tate Museum of Modern Art. You know you're in for a boundary expanding experience when Matisse and Picasso are the traditionalists in the exhibit. <laughs> Four stories of isms, realism, surrealism, cubism, feminism, minimalism, expressionism, one ism trying to replace another and all filled with alienation. One piece, a bas-relief sculpture, sculpture. The artist, she had stood at a distance and shot with a rifle paintballs at her sculpture. She said, I wanted to kill all men, all society, all schools, all institutions, the church. And that's alienation. Most of us aren't quite so estranged. Our estrangement is more like that story that John Claypool tells of the two brothers born in a Midwestern town. They were twins. And their father owned a hardware store. And they were so close to one another that they wore the same clothes, went to the same school, went to the same college, never married because they were, they were deeply committed to one another. 
After their father died, they moved back to their hometown, took over the family hardware store, and everyone in this small little Midwestern town came to the store not just to buy things, but to talk and find out the latest. It was a, a, a place of great collaboration for the community. One day, one of the brothers waited on a customer who made a small purchase $5. The brother, in his haste to get back to talking to the customer, put the $5 bill on the cash register till and walked the man to the front of the store and said goodbye. The other brother was stocking things in the bins. The brother remembered a little later that he hadn't put the $5 in the, in the cash register till, so he went back to put it in, and the $5 bill was gone. So he turned to his brother who was doing the stocking of merchandise and said, you didn't by chance see the $5 bill and put it in the till, did you? And the brother said, no, I've just been stocking all day. A little later, he couldn't let it rest. And the brother said, are you sure you didn't put that $5 bill? And hearing the hint of suspicion. The other brother said, I told you, I didn't see it. Well, one thing led to another. And before long, they built a partition right down the middle of their father's store. They entered into competition with one another. The whole community was brought into this. They had to decide which of the brothers they would patronize. For you patronize one, you're the enemy of the other. That went on for 20 years, divided the whole community. One day, a stranger drove into town out-of-state license, pulled up in front of one of the hardware stores and went in and asked for the owner. And the stranger asked how long the owner had owned the store. And he said, well, well, over 20 years. And the stranger said, yeah, then you're the man I need to do business with. 20 years ago, I was down on my luck. I was riding the trains, riding the rails, I got off here and started walking down the alley behind your store and the back door was open and I saw a $5 bill on the cash register and everyone was in the front of the store and I thought to myself, I've been raised a Christian but I haven't eaten in three days. And I went in and I took the $5 bill. But that's bothered me all these years. And I thought to myself, if I'm ever in the area... I will go back and pay my debt. Sir, here is your $5. And here, by the way, is all the money it would have accrued in interest had you kept it. And he looked up at the old man standing in front of him who had tears running down his cheeks. And the old man said, Would you go next door with me and tell that story to the man who works there? And there with two old men looking very much alike, the lines of bitterness and resentment had etched deeply into their brow. And he told that story, and the two men collapsed into one another's arms and wept. St. Paul said, You who were once estranged from God, from one another, and from yourself, 
You who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has reconciled in the body of his flesh in order to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. That's what Paul is trying to communicate to us. Today is the day of reconciliation. Today is the day to get right with God, to get right with yourself, and to make peace with everyone in your life that you can do it with. For God has brought all things into existence, even you, for the glory of Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the pathway to maturity is through the renewal of your mind and the reconciliation of your life. Some of you need to do that today so that you can know the reality of what St. Paul wrote. In him he has made peace with all things. Now it's time for some of us to get with the program. That we might be mature in Christ. Amen.